view our sin. We should have a God-centered view of sin. You know, when we look at what God has done for us, we that have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we that were one time have gone from being a rebel, gone to be members of God's family, a child of the King, we that were dead in our sins have become alive in Jesus Christ to his greatness and to his blessings. We have gone from being members of Satan's family to being members of God's family. You know, we have gone from spiritual darkness to, to being enlightened in spiritual truth. When we look at all that God has done for us, his disposition towards us has changed. We that were one time under his wrath, we are now in, enjoying the blessings of, of relationship with him. You know, we were hellbound, about to spend eternity separated from God. But God in his amazing grace changed all of that, not to be under his wrath. Second Thessalonians 1 verse 9 says, to suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. That was, that was our future. That is where we were headed. But it all changed, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be um, propitiated, to receive by faith. So when we look at what God has done for us, and that truth, propitiation, that God is now satisfied with us, that God is able to look at us and, and have a relationship that we're not under his wrath. He doesn't look at our sin that's going to cause us to be separated from him for all of eternity, but he's pleased with us. And yet we, we understand that man is incapable. We're incapable of getting into that position on our own where God can be at home and be pleased with us because of our sinful condition. So it had to be God that acted. It had to be God that took a step. It had to be God that took the measurements to change it all. And Christ came, paid for our sin by his blood. That's all the backdrop to this, to this sermon, to our study tonight. Because we're declared righteous. But here's the question. How does God, since we're children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, how now does he view our sin? How does he look at it? When I was talking to Katie this afternoon and talking just about my title and where I was going and what the heart of the message was, she said, you know, I, I often will ask forgiveness to people that I've sinned against, but I forget really too often to go to God and go vertically and to be reminded that, that it's against God that I have sinned. And that's really the heart of what I want to come after tonight, to have a God-centered theology of sin by seeing all sin is against God. Now, if we could grasp that truth, if I could get to understand that every sin that I'm doing is against God, that really should radically change the way we live. That everything, whether it's envy, whether it's jealousy, whether it's anger, whether it's unfaithfulness, every sin it is a sin against God. So if you have your notes and you would follow in your notes more detail than what I'll put on the screen um, behind me. But first, I want to see the report. I want to see that all sin is against God. I want us to see the vertical direction. And that's really the heart of what I'm trying to stress tonight, that seeing that every sin we commit is against God. It has a vertical dimension. It has a vertical phenomenon. So first of all, we're stating that all sin is against God. You know, the Bible claims that sin is against him. The Bible claims that all sin is against God, but is that the view of our culture? Is that what people out there in the world look at, that sin is against God, it's vertical? Our society really looks at it as horizontal, right? 
And you're going to see a clip in a moment of that. But they, they view it as something that sin, what is sin? If they think about sin at all, it's really something against your morals or it's against your, your beliefs or maybe it's against, one man will say, against his personal goals that you might have set or whatever your thinking is or sinning against other people or one person will say sin is anything that's fun. Um, so what, what, is, what is sin? I want us to look at a, a clip man on the street video for a few moments just to see what the world says. Then we're going to look at what God says sin is. What is sin? Sin? You're kidding, right? Sin? Sin is bad. Can I ask you a question real fast? Yeah. Just trying to find out to you, what is sin? What is what? Sin. Sin. Well, uh, if you'd have watched me last night, you might have known what it was. I believe sin is just a mind opportunity for you to either blame yourself or others. I can't explain it. You know, but sin is, sin is, you know, smoking a cigarette, that's sin. You know, these piercings, those are sin. The way you people, you know, think, it seems like everything's wrong. You know, breathing's a sin. What is sin? Well, there's lots of different kinds. Lust, theft, uh, oh, now I'm embarrassed. Sin, something which which you should not do. In my conscience, sin is when you're conscious you're doing something wrong. We're trying to get definition of what people think sin is. Sin? Mm, depends on what, per- what, what the person is, what the person's morals is, or values is. Each person differs. What is sin to you? Oh my gosh, I'd, I'd rather be left out. Pretty much everything that's fun. <laughs> to you, what is sin? What is sin? Uh, sin will be something that moves you away from your your goals. Really, everything is sin. The word, really, to me, the word is sin because everything you do, you can't do nothing really without sin. Sin? Oh, I don't know. I'd say doing something that you feel uncomfortable. So pretty much we see what they think that sin is really something that has a horizontal direction against your beliefs or goals or sin against another person. But I want us to see that it really has a vertical dimension, that sin is not first and primarily against one another, but vertically it's against God. I want us to start in Genesis chapter 20. We'll look at a few passages. We're going to list some specific sins. And I purposely am longer on the first one because of three powerful passages that we look at in Genesis chapter 20. First of all, to understand adultery. That adultery is a sin against God. Passages in the Bible show us this. And I start with Genesis chapter 20. And here is is Abraham and Sarah. I know he did it also in Genesis 12 where he lied about Sarah and his relationship with her. But we come into Abraham and Abimelech in Genesis chapter 20. He's traveling with his wife. And she says, it says in the passage that she was beautiful to look upon. And so he's kind of nervous that people will look at him and say, hey, let's knock this guy off so we can have her. So he tells Sarah, you know, just lie and just tell him you're my sister. And so this king Abimelech sees her and he desired her so he brings her in with him. In verse 5, so God, well, verse 4, now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill me? So God came to him in verse 3, actually, and said, the man, the woman you're with is another man's wife. You're in trouble, Abimelech. 
And he quickly backs off and said, hey, didn't she, you know, didn't he tell me that it was just his sister? Hey, I'm innocent. But look at verse 6. God said, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Genesis 20, verse 6. I kept you. I stopped you from sinning, taking this action against me. So he doesn't first say sinning against Abraham. God says you would have sinned against me. So for us to start to shape our minds and and to just let that truth soak in, every sin that I'm committing is a sin against God, vertical. But we're starting here with adultery. Um, Genesis 39, I'll just talk through this passage. In a moment, we'll look at a verse. But this is a classic passage that approaches the same subject. In Genesis 39, God-centered perspective of adultery. Um, Adultery is a sin against God. Here's Joseph. Potiphar's wife, as you're familiar with the passage, approaches him and she wants to have relationships with him. And he focuses immediately in this tremendous verse that's on the screen behind me. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against your husband? Is that what he says? No, he says, how can I do this great and sin against God? He understands primarily to commit sin But this particular sin we're talking about is to sin against God. It has a vertical dimension. And it really calls, that we'll look in a a few minutes, as his responsibility before the creator. He says, I understand that if I were to do this, that I would be sinning against God. He's realizing that, that God is his boss, right? That God is sovereign, that God's in control, that he's a creator. And Joseph is just the creator. He's the creature, and that he has a responsibility to obey God. And to fall into temptation to do this act would be sinning against God. Vertical. Another passage in 2 Samuel 12, the whole passage in 2 Samuel 12. King David had this same vertical understanding, this vertical dimension of sin. When he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. After committing adultery with Bathsheba. You're familiar with 12 and 13. He committed the act. He had Uriah killed. And the baby dies as a consequence of his sin. He's confronted by Nathan the prophet. And Nathan the prophet says, you are the man. And I want to look at Psalm 51. That David writes this psalm later. But also is connected to 2 Samuel 12, 13. The same words. And David says in Psalm 50, 51, 4, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words. How in the world can David say, Against you, you only have I sinned? David, you're missing something. Hello, Uriah, hello, Bathsheba, hello, dead baby, what's happening? He looks primarily and first that he has sinned against God. Definition of sin is not wronging another person. When I get angry with you, it's not that I got angry with you. Or did. Definition of sin is I am assaulting the glory of God. I am rebelling against God. Sin by its very di- di- dimension, definition, is a vertical phenomenon. I am going against God by sinning. The horizontal wrongs that David did against Bathsheba, killing Uriah, resulting in a baby, that's not being being minimized. They're horrible and wrong. But what makes sin, sin, is his vertical dimension. What makes sin wrong is going vertically. It's disobeying God's law. 
It's disobeying God's truth. It's disobeying the Creator's instruction. It's denying that He alone satisfies your soul. That you need more. You're going beyond what he's instructed. You're looking for answers beyond that. And so when David says against you, and you only have I sinned, he's not saying, you know, I didn't do anything wrong against Bathsheba. I didn't do anything wrong against Uriah. He's primarily saying the evil thing here ultimately that I have done is to rebel against you, God. I've acted against you. I rejected you, as the song said, as my treasure. I rejected you as my precious jewel. God, I rejected you. I scorn your word. So David understood that, that vertical dimension. How does God view our sin? How does he see it? Does he see it simply as an act against man? No, he sees that as an assault on his authority. He's given his word and how we're to live and how we're to conduct ourselves. And he sees it that we're acting against him, that we're saying that, God, you have no right to rule in my life, that, that I have the right to rule. I want us to see another passage, if you would turn with me to Numbers chapter 16. I want us to look at envy. You know, envy is, envy is a sin which, which probably all of us have participated. I'm not trying to pull you into the cesspool with me, um, but I'm guessing that perhaps we have. What is envy? Envy is wanting what someone else has. Envy is, is wanting what another one possesses. In our society, we, we live in the age of envy, don't we? You know, we have career envy. We have six success envy. We have marriage envy. We have relationships envy. We have home envy. We have car envy. We have vacation envy. We have um, children envy. We have pension envy of the New Jersey state workers. <laughs> you know, we have all of this envy going on. Ethan Cross, who's professor um, at University of Michigan, professor of psychology, and if you can believe the studies impact that Facebook makes on people. He made this statement. With the advent of social media, envy is being taken to an extreme. Because people are able to see the lies of other people and the best is put forward and, and it's just, just growing envy. People are desiring, I wish I had that. I wish I had possessed that. Clinical psychologist Rachel Andrews said that she's seeing more and more people in the consulting room that are possessed with envy, and I quote, because they can't achieve the lifestyle they want, but what they see others have. So how does God view this sin, envy? Does he view it horizontally as a problem here, or does he view it vertically? In Numbers chapter 16, if I could just talk through the passage and look at verse 3, here's Korah's a Levite. And Dotham and Abiram were of the tribe of Reuben. And they gathered, recruited 250 leaders of Israel. And they approached Moses. And they approached Aaron. And they were upset because they thought Moses and Aaron were taking too much control or taking too much for themselves. So they had an uprising against Moses' leadership. But here's the question. What was the reason for their rebellion? Why were they upset with Moses? Look at verse 3. They assembled themselves and they said, You've gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself upon the, above the assembly of the Lord? So here they get in Moses' face, and they're upset, and they say, Moses, you're taking too much authority here. And they're saying, look, all of us are holy. We're called of God. The whole assembly is a blessed assembly. We're God's covenant people. We're all capable of being leaders. Who are you to elevate yourself? But what are they forgetting? 
they're forgetting that God called Moses. God appointed Moses to be the leader. They failed that God appointed them to these positions and they were jealous. In verses 8 to 10, we see that they're, they're rebuked. And Moses said, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small of a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself? I mean, they had this incredible position as Levites. They were able to worship close to God, to be in the, in the tabernacle and be involved in that service, but they wanted more. They also wanted to be priests. They wanted Moses' authority. Look, he drops a hammer here in verse 11. Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all of your company had gathered together. He says that you have contended, you've, you've come against the Lord. You're not coming against me. Your envy is against God. The story shows that, that sin is not simply, envy is not just something that I look at what you have and I wish I had your car or your, your looks or, or um, your possessions or maybe your sports team that has more championships than mine. But it's a sin against God. Well, how is envy really against God? How is an assault against him? Envy, um, jealousy, lack of contentment is an assault on God's, God's sovereignty. God is sovereign in what he's given to, to you and to me, what he's blessed us with. It's an attack on his authority. It's an attack on his plans. It's an attack on his purposes. It's an attack on everything of his goodness to us and saying, God, I'm not happy with what you've done. I'm not happy with your provisions. I'm envious. You should have made me different. You should have given me this. Envy, we're basically putting ourselves in the place of God and saying, God, I know something better that you failed in. And really, it's a vertical sin when we're going against God and we have that vertical dimension I listed some other sins on your sheet that I'll just touch upon briefly just so we can get, I mean, I could have gone on and on with this, but that we understand that sin is vertical. When we reject or get pleased, displeased with God, it's against him that we're going. Um, sexual sins, you remember Genesis 13. It says, Genesis 13, verse 13, in Sodom, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against who? Against the Lord. So all of their sexual perversions are against God. Um, in Acts 5, 3 and 4, you know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Why have you done this great evil and lied to whom? To the Holy Spirit. So they're lying. Lying is a sin against God. Um, because why? Who's the father of lies? Satan, John 8, 44. So we're following his, following his leads when we lie. Um, we see that wrath in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 and 32, is against God. In fact, you'll see wrath, slander, corrupt talk. It's all packed in there. And what does verse 30 of Ephesians 4 th say? Grieve what? Not the Holy Spirit. So slander, corrupt talk, um, anger, all of this is slandering. It's grieving God. It's causing the Holy Spirit to weep. So all of these sins are against the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, verse 5, that's on the screen behind me. And we see that covetousness. Paul writes to Ephesians and he said, everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, parenthesis, that is idolatry. Covetousness. It's not just horizontal. It's not something that I, I 
envy or jealous, something that I desire. And I get it, they're probably talking about sexual sins, but broadening out, all covetousness is idolatry. It has a vertical dimension. We're putting something or someone else in place of God, right? It's, I'm getting self-gratification in someone or something else, and I'm putting them at the center of my existence. I'm replacing the creator with the created. So I'm becoming an idolater. I'm becoming covetous. So my emphasis in this first part before Conrad comes up in a moment is I want us to see that all sin is sin against God. Um, whatever we can think of, whenever we've done wrong, whenever we failed, it's not just against our moral conscience. And if it, it's against your moral conscience, praise God. Then your parents shaped the moral warehouse that was biblical and godly. But it's there because it has a vertical dimension. Whatever, whenever, wherever we sin, it is first and primarily vertical phenomenon. It's against God. I've asked Conrad to come and just talk for a moment about what it was like prior to salvation. What was, how did he view sin? Uh, what was his take on sin? And now that he's put his faith and trust in Christ some years ago, how does he view sin now? About my testimony and how I viewed sin prior um, to being saved and how I view sin now. So I, I took some notes here, and I came from um, a religious background, so I was familiar with sin and what sin meant. Um, the example of Eve disobeying, disobeying the Lord and uh, Cain and Abel and, and, and those sins. Um, but when I did commit a sin, I, I really took it, as Pastor Crompton gave the example and as some of those people got to speak on the video, as something that I did against someone else, something that wasn't right something that God said was wrong, and um, I did that to someone else. If it was lying, if it was cheating, um, I didn't really think about how that affected God. Um, I was just being selfish and um, thinking of my own desires. So, um, and, and I would categorize it, too, uh, and I think a lot of people do that. Hey, this one's not so bad, or this might be a white lie. You know, in uh, some churches, they might teach you, this is a mortal sin. This is a venial sin. They categorize things like that. Um, now, why did I sin? Uh, I sinned because it brought me pleasure. That was the purpose of it. I was getting something out of it. Um, the pleasure was temporary. It, it did give me satisfaction. It made me feel good. And at times when you can get away with it, you may do it more often because of that temporary pleasure that you get. Um, it gave me a promise uh, that sinning was better than what God wanted for me and um, helped me get out of trouble. Um, it allowed me to be a coward when I sinned, um, and it was an easy way out. Um, with me, uh, times that I would try to stop sinning would be if I got caught in something that I did that I shouldn't have been doing or if I was embarrassed. And ultimately, um, when you lose something or if you lose someone, and um, after I surrender my life to God, uh, the difference now is that um, although I know committing a sin does hurt other people and that it's horrible, um, but I understand now that when I do that, um, not only am I hurting someone else, I'm rebelling against God and uh, I'm rejecting him. Um, I'm not trusting in him and what he's saying is right and what is good. Um, and that sin ultimately is disobeying God's law. 
So minimally, I hurt others, but the maximization of my sin is that I'm assaulting the glory of God when I do that. Um, And now, why do I choose to um, or have a desire not to sin? It's because I'm accountable to God for my behavior. You know, it's not just me. It's not what I can get away with. It's, um, you know, trying to be a man of integrity like the Lord wants me to be and um, to have a good character, to make choices that honor God even when no one's seeing because he's always seeing. And um, just like Pastor Dave shared, um, we had a few examples of uh, Joseph in Genesis 39, um, you know, when he was tempted to sin and how he, he chose not to because he knew that would be sinning against God. And, and, and David in Psalm 51.4, where after he sinned, he realizes that he needs forgiveness and he's accountable for it and he goes to God because um, he knows that he committed a crime against God's law. Um, so how did I stop um, finding pleasure in sin? I, I trusted that God is my greater pleasure. Um, obeying him and trusting him. And uh, it wasn't because of my willpower or because I'm so great. Because um, if it was, then I could just boast and say, hey, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing that. You know, um, however, with, uh, I know that with me, I, um, I was only able to conquer the pleasures of sin um, because there's a superior pleasure, and that's Jesus. And I was able to experience that through saving faith. So now Jesus is my satisfying treasure. So my saving faith is to be so satisfied with Jesus that now sin no longer has this force to be attractive to me. So I don't desire to do it. And now I just desire to honor and obey my Lord. Thank you, friend. Amen. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> Thanks, friend. That was beautiful. All sin, against is, all sin is sin against God. Why? Why is, that, why is that true? I want us to look at two points. I believe that you have them on your notes. First, God is man's creator. All sin is against God. God is man's creator. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Here God makes this incredible announcement, pronouncement that, that he's creating Adam and Eve. In those words, he, he's defining their stunning identity, that they are made in the very image of God. It just really gives the, the utter uniqueness of the relationship that God would have with man. The animal world, was not made in the image of God, but man was. So he's showing that they're special, and he's, he's giving dignity to them. He's giving something awesome and, and separate from everything else, making man in the very image of God. God created man, gave him dignity by creating them in his image. You know, when we look around the world, because we think of sin against mankind, but what will help us understand it's against God as we understand that that everyone is created in the very image of God and when we sin against them we're truly sinning against God you know everyone 
And the world is made in the image of God. You think of the richest man or the most powerful leader in the world. And you take the lowliest person, perhaps he's homeless on skid row. They're both made in the image of God. You take men and women, boys and girls, all made in the very image of God. You take the, the hyperfit athlete, perhaps like Lawrence, or take somebody frail like me. <laughs> That's why we like him on all moves, you know. He, I could just kind of dog, you know. But, you know, you take, you take one that's in great shape or, or maybe a frail elderly woman. They are both made in the very image of God. Or you take the doctor and the patient, the boss and the worker. You take the richest man and the, the, the poorest man. You take one born from the richest country, one born from the poorest country. All made in the very image of God. In his image. Because every human bears is a God-bearer. Uh, image of, of God. Every act of injustice, every act of unfairness, every wrong deed or lack of deed is a sin first against God because man is made in the very image of God. It's against God's honor, against God's authority, against God's person. So when we get upset with our spouse or with our children, when we start to think things that are wrong or we do, all of our sins, they are first and primarily against God because man is made in the very image of God. When we hurt someone else, we're hurting God. Proverbs 14, 31 says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Hurting another person, whether they're poor or not, offends God. We're sinning against God. It's insulting him because that person is made in the very image of God. An offense against the creature is an offense against the creator. A similar verse, Proverbs 17, 5, whoever mocks a poor insults his maker. Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made him in his own image. Murder is the sin against the very image bearer, the sin against God. It's not just a crime against a person. It says it's a crime against God. I suspect all of our hearts are anxiously looking towards summer, but first we look to God. Our trust is not in the Supreme Court. Our trust is in God, but we're praying. God turned, overturned Roe versus Wade. And the turmoil, you hear all this happening in the United States and people's opinions. But abortion is murder. And it just, it's, even reading last night some different people's thoughts, it grieves me to, for them not to understand it's, it's murder. Or we look at what's happening in Ukraine and to see people lying on the streets and this Russian soldier that's brought into, he's the first one being charged with, with crime against um, a civilian shooting a 62-year-old lady in the back. It's, it's, it's killing an image bearer of God. You know, when we look at, at people, they're, they're not just disheveled wretches of humanity that we could just throw away like litter. No matter if it's an elderly person. Who was that guy in Michigan, Dr. Death Kevorkian? You know, they're image bearers. God hasn't called them home. We never have the right. Everyone's made in the very image of God. I mean, Jesus Christ is our awesome example in this area. Look at him. There were, there were no outcasts of society in his life. Jesus was, was the one that loved all of the outcasts. We look at the leper person, or we look at the paralytic man. We look at Levi and Zacchaeus, the tax collectors that the Jews wanted nothing to do with. Or we think of the Samaritan woman, or the woman with an issue of blood that she had to be far away. Jesus brought all of them close to him, including Gentiles. 
awesome example because man is made in the image of God and our sin against people is sin against God. But a second reason I see, see that all sin is against God is that sin challenges God's character. Sin is against God because it is challenging the very character of God. We love the parenting class that we just concluded a couple of weeks ago, and I see some of you here with your children. Imagine when a child disobeys. What are they really saying to you, mom and dad, when a child disobeys you, when they don't follow your instruction, when they don't do as you decided? This is really what they're saying. You, my poor and sightless parents, who have not been around the block enough, you are wrong and I know better. Please allow me, the fountain of truth, to guide you naive, misdirected, misinformed parental beings into all truth. Isn't that really what they're saying? But what are we saying to God when we disobey him? Are we not saying the same thing? We're saying, God, God, you're wrong. I think I know a little bit better on this than you do. I have a little bit more insight we're really calling the truthfulness of God's character and his person, his promises, his wisdom, all into question when we disobey God's word by, by having this sin. That's not first horizontal, but it's vertical. Whatever sin we're doing, God's word instructs us how not to do it or what we should do. It's not just sins of commission, but it's also sins of omission. Whatever we do, it's first a sin against God's character, a sin against what he instructed. Going back to number 16, just in your mind, the story of Coram, um, Dathan, and Byron, they declared this belief. They were saying, God, you're, you're wrong. We're upset with you, God, because we know a little bit better. They're challenging Moses and Aaron, but they're really challenging God because they weren't happy with the task that God gave them. They wanted more. They weren't challenged with the position that God had assigned to them in his sovereignty. They challenged the men's leadership, Moses and Aaron, because they were really challenging God. They wanted more. Challenging the very character of God. That's why God said, therefore it is against the Lord, or Moses, that you have gathered together. So the sin... Envy, whatever the sin, it has a vertical dimension because we're challenging the character of God. We're going against him, stating that, that we know better, that we understand better. We're not believing in his sovereignty, that God, we have a better angle, we have a better insight into, into this. So this being all the backdrop, what's the application? How should it change our lives? How should we approach, now that I understand that sin is against God vertically, and for me to be alert, the understanding that as I'm attacking those created in the image of God. When I'm home, if I ever get upset with somebody and I'm slandering anybody, they're not there. They don't know about it, but I'm, I'm sinning against God. It's still sin, even if a person doesn't know it. I'm attacking God's character. I'm attacking one made in the very image of God. So what, what should my response be to all sin being against God? A God-centered view of sin will reveal sin's deceitfulness. It will re reveal sin's lies. I'll come to understand with this, this understanding that it's God, God views my sin as first an attack against him. I'm attacking his goodness, his character, one made in his image. Everything about it, I'm attacking and questioning God as if I am instructing the parent because I know better. But God's word steps in and starts to enlighten us. It shows us the deceitfulness of sin.
John 8, 44 says that the devil is the father of lies. And Hebrews 13, 3 talks about the deceitfulness of sin. When I have a proper theology of sin, that all sin has a vertical dimension, I will look at everything differently, understanding that sin is against God and not allowing my actions to be deceived, even thinking, well, no one knows the better. Here's a sad example that I'm sorry to give you. But when I was in junior high school, 16 Burlington Avenue, Voorhees, New Jersey was our address. And I could still see that big tree in the front yard that I would hide behind when Davy Ravel came out. And I did this a couple times, um, unfortunately. Davy Ravel um, was mentally retarded. And I would hide behind the tree. And I would say, Davy! And he wouldn't see me. He's looking all around. I thought that was so funny. I think of that today. I don't think it's so funny any longer. My heart grieves how I laughed at this little boy that was made in the image of God. I was deceived. Well, I'm not hurt. He doesn't know any better. But I was being a poor testimony because eventually his brothers saw what I was doing. Oh, yeah, Dave that goes to Christian school and marches off to church. I was a poor testimony to God. But more than that, I am damaging one made in the image of God. I was deceived and thinking, well, it's, it's okay. Sin deceives us to think that sin is inconsequential and trivial. Kind of like as Conrad said, well, it's just a little white lie. You know, it's nothing big about it. No one will know. We're just chinning a little on the exam. It's no big deal. I mean, you're just like happened to look over and you saw the person's answer and you know that they're a 4.0 student. <laughs> oh, they must be right. You know, and it's no big deal. Or you're even in a game. I remember playing as a boy, playing Monopoly, and Alan, neighborhood boy, would just cheat and put $500 bills Monopoly underneath. My brother and I one time looking down. Anyway, that's a side story. Cheating in a game that's that small. It's, I'm being deceived because I think it's okay. It's no, no big deal. It is a big deal because I'm sinning against God and his character by saying, well, I could do, I could do this or that. Whatever our sin is, whether it's being too busy to help a person out when God's knocking on our heart door that we should help a person out, or whether it's not doing something, it is a sin against God. I'm being deceived. But God's word starts to shape. and God's word tells us, even if it's our moral warehouse and we don't have our Bible open, but we're about to do something, this is what's happening. The Spirit of God has looked at all of the warehouse shelves and pulled one thing off the shelf and brought it to your attention because you were implanted by your parents this truth they taught you or you heard it in Sunday school or in church that this is what the word of God expects of you. May we not be deceived by sin because all sin is a sin against God. You know, sometimes sin deceives and leads us to believe, you know, our, our actions doesn't hurt, harm anyone. Uh, uh, you know, like jealousy. You can be jealous of somebody, they don't even know you're jealous. You can be jealous of someone, they don't, you don't even know that person. So what's the sin? I'm not hurting you by it, but I am questioning, challenging God. It is a problem vertically. But when we have a proper understanding of God, We'll have a, you refer to Joseph as I did earlier. We'll have a Joseph mentality. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How can I do it? 
So when we understand this, we'll allow the word of God to, to enlighten us, to not deceive us, that we'll cry out as we get into our morning devotions, God, I want your word to shape me today so I'm not deceived by sin today. Second area, God-centered view of sin will help us and will give us the right motivation to fight sin. What is it about sin that scares us? You don't have to answer, but what, what scares you about sin? Embarrassment? Man, I mean, they caught me doing this. Oh, I don't want to be caught. I want to be sneaking, trying to do it without people seeing me. Embarrassment? Maybe the consequences? Man, if I do this, man, I know this could happen. Oh, man, and now I know this, and boy, maybe this, this, boy, I, I could lose my job, or my wife will leave, whatever. Um, will it be the stigma of it all? When I was in junior in high school, I went to Baptist High School called Baptist Regional. Now, unfortunately, it's closed, but we went to a camp in um, 78, I'm dating myself, I'm just a couple of years younger than pastor. <laughs> you know what, I, I wanted to so much say this morning when I got up, not only does he look like a grandfather, he is a grandfather. <laughs> Sorry, friend. Just slipped. You know, we went to, um, beautiful thing with my hearing, I didn't hear him. <laughs> He always has the same line. My job's done tomorrow. Is that what he said? <laughs> we went to camp in Sandy Cove in Maryland. And I remember this, the Bible speaker that we brought in just so hammered home truth. And, and I just remember the guilt and crying out to God, I just want to change. And, and I wanted to, it was, I don't remember, but he must have been talking about our relationship to our parents. And I wanted to just be a better son, obedient, and listen to my parents. And I can remember coming home from this retreat and um, being in the, in the bathroom and looking in the mirror and just crying, God, why can't I change? Why can't I be different? Why, why can't I just think of all that my parents, my dad is, is an awesome hard worker, my mom sacrifices, sends me to Christian school so that, that I can be in this awesome environment from K through, through college, never in a public school, and I'm just crying, God. But you see, my, my motivation, though it was good, it was wrong. My motivation shouldn't be, I want to be good because of what my parents have done. I think that's a sweet secondary one. But primarily my focus should have been, God, I want to change my behavior because of, of what you have done in my life. Because of God, of who you are. God, I want to live this way because of, of your sweetness in my life. And that's why I framed this message, song at the beginning and the end. Talking about gratitude. God, I want to live this way because of all you've done in my life. Ephesians 4.30, previous verses talking about slander, corrupt talk, um, immorality, but he, he zeroes in and says, and do not grieve the Holy, the Holy Spirit of God. Th this word grieve means to be in distress, to be in distress, to be pain, to have sorrow. Isn't that pretty, pretty amazing? You mean God the Spirit is in distress when I sin. God, the Spirit grieves when I sin. This, this, this God that put on human flesh and came to this earth to die on the cross for my sins. He's allowed the Spirit of God to live in me. He's grieved. Shouldn't I, I want to stop whatever sin I'm involved in because I'm grieving him? So it gives me the right motivation. The Holy Spirit weeps when I'm cheating or stealing or lying or slandering or whatever we might be doing. 
I must daily, this is a line that Dennis and I enjoy, I must daily live in the shadow of the cross. I must daily speak the gospel to myself. Daily. I must let it be embedded in my mind, the truth of Galatians 6.14, that I have died to the world. I boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that I have to just live in that shadow, being ever reminded what God has done for me. Because when I get forgetful, when I fail in remembering his blessings, his goodness of yesteryear, when I ran out of that church service, weighted with the guilt of my sin and the fear of eternal separation from God, when I cried out to him, and that day the load was lifted, everything was changed. He became mine. My eternal destiny was no longer condemned, but it now was justified. When I forget that, that's when I will now traffic in sin. So may we have a gospel motivation. May we be continually be reminded. Ephesians 2 my D group were memorizing verses 1 to 10. And verse 1, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, when I remembered that I was once dead in my sins, I was once buried, I was fallen in the lust of the mind and the flesh, even as a 12-year-old, but it all changed with the first two words of verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, Everything changed when he brought me into his family, when he saved me, when he ripped away the blindness and I saw my, my needy condition before him. May I remember that. Yes, how does God view our sin? I am no longer condemned. I am declared righteous, but God grieves over my sin. And may I have an understanding that it's a vertical dimension as I cry out to him. And continue to live a life that says, Jesus, thank you for all that you have done. We want to close with that song.